We just watched the entire house burn down. It was an apartment. There were people upstairs. I don't, I don't even remember where we lived after that. I think we stayed with my mother's father, but that was a pretty significant memory for me. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Welcome to another episode. We have Kelly Houston with us today. Kelly, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Why don't we go back and start at the beginning and just tell us a little bit about yourself, how uh, life was growing up, where you grew up and all that good stuff. Sure. So one thing to note about me is I don't remember a lot of my childhood, um, but I do know, you know, the basics. I was I was born in Connecticut. Um, I was born to um, my mom and my dad. Um, who were unmarried at the time, my, um, and they never actually got married. My mom was 19 and my dad was a little bit older. Um, I know that my mom was coming out a very traumatic time in her, her life. Uh, her mother had just committed suicide. Um, and so she met and fell in love with my father. They had me. Um, a couple of years later, they had my sister. So I grew up in Connecticut. Um, I don't really, really remember much of my early childhood years. I do remember that I lived primarily with my mother. Um, we would move from town to town as she would find different odd jobs. I didn't see much of my father, but I did see a lot of my father's um, parents, my grandparents, who were very significant in my life growing up. Um, and my mom was, you know, she was a drug user. Um, from what I understand, she did use heroin as well as my father. Um, my father did eventually contract HIV from his usage. Um, and my mother did attempt to get clean around, I was around the age of 11, which she did. Um, but she went away for a year, um, to a rehab facility in Fairfield Hills, Connecticut, which is now closed. I remember very little about that time, but I do remember that during that time I lived with my aunt, um, for that year, my, both my sister and I, and that, that was a tough challenge. And it was a tough transition when my mom came home and we began to live with her again after a year. Um, and I saw my father here and there growing up, um, and I spent a lot of time with his parents um, on weekends and holidays. They really tried to take my sister and I so that my mom could have a break. Um, yeah. And then I graduated high school and went off to college. And when I went off to college, my mom and my sister and her husband moved down to Florida. And um, right after college, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I joined the Peace Corps and I went over to Africa for two years and I taught um, I met and um, fell in love with my my now husband. Um, he was also a volunteer in the same group. And we came back to Brooklyn, um, New York, where we lived for a number of years. And we got married and had two beautiful children. And we just moved to Cape Cod, Massachusetts um, a couple of years ago. Um, we both teach at the same high school. And I'm a biology uh, high school teacher. And we're just living by the beach now. Awesome. Very cool. <laughs> Do you remember any any time back in your childhood? I mean, when all that was going on, how did that affect you? Uh, you know, the eleven year old you with what was going on. Yeah. So, like I said, I don't really remember much. Um, I really blocked a lot of it out. I do remember some significant memories. Um, I remember my house burning down. 
Um, I was a little bit younger. This was right before my mom went into rehab, but I um, woke up. Um, my sister and I smelled something funny. We didn't know what it was. We crept into my mom's bedroom and I just picture and I just remember her entire bed being on fire and she was lying in the middle of it um, asleep. And I just remember just standing at the edge of the doorway and screaming her name. Um, and she woke up. We ran back further into the house, into the kitchen to get some water. We filled up these pots and pans. We tried to douse the fire um, to no avail, but at that point it had gotten so big. Um, and we ran out of the house and I just remember grabbing, grabbing my teddy bear, which I slept with for years. I still have him, um, and ran out of the house. And we just watched the entire house burn down. There were, it was an apartment. There were people upstairs. Um, I don't, I don't even remember where we lived after that. I think we stayed with my mother's father. Um, but that was pretty, that was a pretty significant, um, memory for me. Yeah. Wow. And, um, how was it the year your mom got back? So I was um, grounded every weekend that year. Um, my mom really tried to establish, you know, the parental dominance at that time. I think for a long time, I was really the parent in a lot of ways. And my, my mom obviously like cooked for us and brought, you know, paid the bills and brought home things that we needed. Um, but I remember being a part of a lot of conversations I wasn't supposed to be a part of. So, and, and making decisions that weren't mine to make. So when she came home, it was very hard for me to like, you know, transition that power back to her, even though that's ultimately what I wanted. It was very difficult for me. So, um, you know, and she was also trying to transition to a new role. So it was, I was in trouble a lot <laughs> that year. Um, I was at a new school, so it was difficult for me to make friends, um, and I just remember there was a real power struggle between my mom and I, and there was just a real struggle in general for us to uh, reestablish a relationship. We were in family therapy. I hated it. Um, I didn't feel comfortable. I'm in therapy now and I feel much better. I've been in therapy for over 10 years, but at the time I just didn't understand what was happening. People were asking me questions, making me feel uncomfortable. I didn't want to talk about certain things. Um, so it was a really lonely time for me. When would you say everything kind of caught up to you to where you started exploring the need for therapy and, and what can you remember any of the circumstances? Yeah, I think I started becoming like really self-aware of um, my choices and my behavior. I was, I never got into drugs. I was, I was too scared to touch them, but um, I was very like promiscuous when I was younger and I wouldn't make the best choices. And I was feeling very lost. And, um, you know, what, like I said, when I graduated college, I joined Peace Corps because I was like, there's nothing else for me to do. There's nowhere for me to go. Um, I have this degree in biology, but I don't even really know what to do with it. Um, I struggled throughout college in general, just trying to make ends meet and just trying to stay on top of the, the homework and, and the studying and the coursework. And, um, you know, I joined Peace Corps. And when I was there, I was living in a hut with no electricity and no running water. And I was like that for two years and you spent a lot of time self-reflecting. Um, so that's really where I started to kind of look more inward. Um, and I started to feel the separation from my mom. And I started to feel like I could, I, maybe I could be on my own and not necessarily have to depend on her. Um, and that's when I started dating my now then uh, husband. So he and I would have a lot of, you know, 
deep talks. I mean, we're out in the in the middle of Africa and right. it's not like you can go catch a movie. Right. So um, he and I would, you know, spend a lot of time talking about each other and ourselves and our thoughts and, you know, our values and our ethics. And um, that's when I really started to, you know, think about the idea of therapy. So when we came home, I, I immediately got a therapist and um, I've been seeing him twice a week um, for the last like 10, 12 years. So you were able to start to unpack some of the things that had an impact on your life. Yep, definitely. Um, it's, you know, it's scary to go to therapy because you find out, you know, you face things that you don't necessarily want to face about yourself. Um, and I've really been trying to establish a healthy relationship with my mom, which has been really difficult um, because she has not forgiven herself. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's tough because I still see myself as a child, but I'm also an adult now and I now am a mom myself. So there's all these like inner, you know, conflicts that are happening. Um, but I, I found that, you know, just letting go a lot of things and I don't ever, um, you know, I'm not angry with my parents and my mom gets a lot more flack than my dad ever did. And it's because my dad wasn't around. He kind of took off. So I don't have any bad memories of him because I don't have any memories of him because he wasn't around. Um, it's my mom that, you know, she was there. And so we, you know, we had the fights and we had the arguments and sometimes they got physical and, you know, I've seen my mom be arrested. Um, and so those memories are in my mind. Whereas my dad, he kind of got off easy because he like literally wasn't there. Um, so, you know, I think just accepting my parents for who they are was a journey that I had to really go on for myself. And now that I'm older, I realize like, you know, how hard life could have been for them. I am reflecting back how lucky I was, at least for my situation. I mean, I can't imagine being 19 in 1979 and my mom just committed suicide and now I'm pregnant with this kid and I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, that's got to be a terrible circumstance to be in. So I don't place blame on my parents at all. There's, I, I have nothing but empathy and understanding. Um, but I'm, I was still affected by their choices in a negative way. Um, sure. and that's where I still have some anger and I'm still kind of working through that. Where, what is your relationship like? today with your mother? So my mom and I are like on a basic like text message exchange relationship. Um, so I'll definitely send her pictures of the kids. Um, I'll, you know, suggest for her to FaceTime with the kids, but it's usually me reaching out to her. I think she's just bottled herself up. Um, and, and at this point, I just feel really sorry for her. Um, but I, I know that how aware I know how I'm aware of how I feel when I'm around her. And I know that I get really upset and I get really emotional. So I'm not at a place where I can visit her because I feel sad because we've lost all this time. I mean, she's met my kids like a handful of times and I'm not saying whose fault it is. She lives in Florida. I live in Massachusetts. I certainly have the means to go down and visit her it just brings back so many memories. And sometimes my mom will say things that really trigger me. And so I'm still working on getting a handle on that. So I'm still open to having a relationship, but I just have to be really careful because what happens is I'll get sucked into a conversation or a comment and I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to be sad all day or to be upset. I used to be able to do that when I didn't have kids and I didn't really have a serious job. But now that I have like, 
responsibilities that are a lot more intense and people are actually depending on me. I can't afford to be sad all day because my mom said something or because I said something I didn't mean. So for me at this point, I just find myself not engaging at all and just kind of keeping my distance and just kind of preserving what little relationship we do have. Um, My father died five years ago. Um, He died of a heart attack. He was only 60. Um, We did get closer once my kids came around. My my son is um, nine. He's about to be 10. We did get closer um, when the kids came around because he would make an effort to come down and see us in New York City. And I think it, you know, I think for his own reasons, he really kind of wanted to get away from his life. And so he would come down and, and take some solace in our life and kind of escape what was going on with him and be with us. Um, We never really talked about the past, but I have to say he never talked ill of my mother. He just said they were both stupid and made really bad decisions when they were younger. Um, So he never really wanted to talk about it. And I did not like, I really want to talk about it either, but we just kind of um, embraced the time we had together. Yeah. In your, in your therapeutic experience, did you find anything that came out that you didn't remember or that you suddenly remembered or uh, about the past or anything that that ended up being uh, something that you were able to work on? Yeah, no, I've I've never had like a revelation. I've um, been interested in exploring some other types of therapy that maybe could like harness that because I feel like it's buried in my brain somewhere and I, for whatever reason, just hasn't come out yet. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see what those memories are. And I don't know if they would make me feel better or make me feel worse, or it would mean I would have to add on another five years of therapy because now I'm unpacking new memories. I didn't even know I had. Um, so I'm still kind of talking to my therapist about, about that as an option, if that would make things better or worse or whatever. Um, sometimes ignorance is bliss, but I think it may be necessary too. So, but there's, yeah, I've never had a moment in therapy where, I suddenly remembered something that I had forgotten. Yeah. Has therapy been a good thing for you? Yeah. I mean, I went through a couple of therapists, but the therapist I have now, um, he and I um, understand exactly what I need. And I, I just want to get down to business. I'm not looking to like beat around the bush. So I'll call him and I'll, I'm now I'm able to pinpoint, um, you know, I was really upset because you know, this happened and, and I just want to get down to it. And I know I'm supposed to feel this way, but this is how I'm feeling. And, 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 you know, and, and I can really kind of separate, like, I get it intellectually, like I'm not upset intellectually, but emotionally I'm upset. And that's always the piece I have to unpack. Like intellectually, I get my parents made bad choices because of their own upbringing and their own perspective and their own, you know, circumstance. I get that, but emotionally I'm still upset about it. Um, so I can separate the two, but I still need work on the emotional part of it. But I've gotten to a point to really kind of um, know myself very well. So um, when I call my therapist, he's not working his way to the problem. I, we just get right down to it. Um, and, you know, we've had we've had a great rapport. He's very flexible with me, and I appreciate that. Um, and, and sometimes we laugh, and a lot of times I cry. And um, so I feel like I found a really good therapist, and I think that's just so crucial. Oh, yeah. Therapy is, yeah. is, I mean, it's, it's important to understand that you need it. And then, uh, you know, like you said, sometimes it takes one or two or three, or, you know, in my case, it took a dozen to, to <laughs> finally, finally figure, you know, to meet the one that you establish rapport and trust and, and all those things. So that's, uh, that's important. And I, I also think it's good to, to look at other 
modalities and other methods that might, you know, bring some things out or able to, you know, button some things up that might be still loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how's the relationship with your sister? So that's touch and go. Um, we're in a good place now. Um, I mean, we're not like chatting up on the phone. Um, she definitely struggled a lot harder than I did. Um, I don't know how I kind of came out of my, you know, I came out of my childhood in a much better place than my sister did. Um, even though we're only two years apart, um, we had very different experiences. So she's definitely had her struggles. I definitely have not helped her. Um, in fact, when I got married, I made a conscious choice to not have her as a bridesmaid. Looking back now, I, th- I think that that was a bad choice, but I made the best decision I, I did, you know, I could at the time. And I thought that was the best decision because I was really trying to protect myself. Um, and I was just, I really just didn't want any drama on this wedding day. And there, there was plenty of drama anyways with the day between my mom, really just with my mom. Um, and I was just trying to preserve the day for what it meant to be. Um, so that was definitely, you know, a, a step in the wrong direction for us. Um, but we have gotten a little bit closer. Um, you know, I, I love her so much and I want, I want to help her. Um, but she's also, you know, in her late thirties as well. So I think she's making good choices now. And I think she's, you know, doing the best what that, what she's given. I get very angry with my mom about kind of holding on to my sister. I feel like my mom really needs someone. And I feel like my sister's the one that kind of got suckered in. And when they moved, when I went to college, I was kind of free and they moved to Florida and they took my sister with with them. And so my sister has continued to live this life in Florida. Um, and I don't think she, you know, she's struggling with having the, you know, the courage to maybe break away. And she also feels bad for my mom because, you know, my mom is, is, you know, she's got this and that she's got fibromyalgia. She's got hepatitis C, you know, she doesn't feel good all the time. Um, and even though my mom's married, you know, she's also aging. She's, you know, now in her sixties. And I think my sister just feels guilty. Um, and there's always been, that's a big theme in my childhood was this guilt. I remember my mom would always make me feel guilty about the choices I made, even if they were normal teenage choices. Like the time I wanted to go out with my boyfriend to dinner instead of staying home with my mom. And I was 16 at the time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's as good as it can be for now. And for where I feel comfortable, I wish it could be better. Same thing with my mom. I wish we could be closer and it makes me sad that we never ended up that way. Cause I know a lot of kids like my, you know, from like-minded childhood, some of them get really close and some of them kind of move further apart. And unfortunately my sister and I kind of moved further apart. Yeah. I mean, trauma does things to people that, you know, everybody's experience is different and everybody, kind of handles it a different way and you know there's all the the baggage that comes with uh, like you said the you know feelings of guilt and uh, everybody has to process it a different way yeah totally yeah so how is life today so life is really good i mean i wake up and sometimes i walk around the house and i touch things like doorknobs and i'm like this is mine i own it and um it's it's it feels like a dream come true. I mean, I married, you know, the man of my dreams. Um, he is a wonderful father. I would argue he's the better parent. Um, he is a wonderful teacher. He's well-liked um, in the community. He's also a Coast Guard reservist. 
um, and he works really hard. And, um, you know, he, he and I make really good partners. I, I always tell him that if we had gone into business together, we probably would be billionaires because um, we, we work really, really well together. And, um, you know, we have two children. My son um, is very active, um, just like his father. Um, he was diagnosed with ADHD a few years ago. So we've been working through therapy for him and exploring um, some medication options and just really being on top of him so that he can have his you know best chance to live his best life. Um, my daughter is seven and she's, you know, at the stage where everything's pink, everything's princess and she wants mommy all the time. So, um, you know, we, when we moved from Brooklyn, New York up to Cape Cod, we really said to ourselves, we got to slow down a little bit because life in Brooklyn, New York was crazy. Um, we were both teaching at title one schools. I, sometimes I was at school until, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. Um, it was a little bit nuts with having the kids. So now that we moved up here, we are making sure that we exercise every day, making sure that we take advantage of the beach being, you know, a mile down the road, um, making sure that we're, you know, involved in the kids' activities as much as we can be. Um, I'm on the PTA for um, both of my kids' schools. I run my daughter's Girl Scout troop. Um, So really just trying to put less, you know, effort on work and more effort on what we think really matters, which is, you know, the home life and making sure our kids have everything that they need. So, um, you know, we've established ourselves as really good educators. We've been doing it for 17 years. My husband and I are both in our forties. So, um, we feel like we can, we're also not in as difficult of a school. Um, so, you know, we're really trying to make a, you know, a shift in our mindset. So, um, I'm really happy these days. I'm really, really happy. That's great. I have a child with ADHD and anxiety and and we're going through the same same uh same thing right now is trying to get her the support that she needs through the school and uh I think we've got some medication that uh is working for her but uh that's that's also that's also a difficult uh genetics are uh something you can't avoid, you know. So I mean it, totally. it is uh it's it's a process. What made you want to be a teacher? I just kind of fell into it. When I joined the Peace Corps, there were a couple of options about what you wanted to do. And I felt like teaching was the best fit for me. So um, when I went over there, I was, you know, assigned to school and I really loved connecting with the students and getting to know them um, and getting to understand like how they think and how to explain things so that they can um, you know, really get it and see, you see that light bulb turn on. Um, and then I really kind of started exploring different ways of teaching. So then I was less, um, as we say, the sage on the stage and more of the guide on the side. Um, so now I really teach through, uh, project-based learning. I really like to have the kids get their hands dirty, take ownership. COVID time has really provided a challenge for how to do that. Um, but on my first day of school this year with the students in the building, I set up lab stations and I had the students in my classroom, um, Google meet call the students at home and they were in groups and they did this lab together. And the students at home were telling the kids at school what to do with the materials that the kids at school had. And the kids at home were collecting the data. And I didn't say a word for the entire period. Um, so it's just something I kind of fell into. I, I love science and I love biology um, and I, and I love students. So I, I, I couldn't do like kindergarten students, but I love high school students. So um, yeah, it's something I kind of fell into. And I, once I started it, I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. Yeah. Speaking of COVID, how, how has that been a challenge uh, for, 
for you as a teacher first, and then secondly, is that a, is this kind of at home lockdown time has that affected your mental health at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, as a teacher, you know, like like I said, I'm very project based. I'm very hands on. I rarely have my students sitting, and I know a lot of people think like, "Oh, you're a science teacher, so you must do labs all the time." But I'm I'm having my kids in circles. I really believe um, in in the power of movement and the power of communication. So my kids are always discussing with one another. We're doing human barometers, or they're in groups, or they're in pairs, or they're moving around the room. And COVID has like killed all that. So I've really had to rethink. Um, how I'm going to get these kids to be engaged. They are not allowed to turn and, and face each other. Um, when we do a lab, they all have to sit facing the same way. Um, you know, the, the cleaning has been a lot. So I've really had to be um, creative about how to, you know, access that part of my teaching. So I've really explored a lot of tech tools um, and trying to roll them out slowly with the students so they're not feeling overwhelmed and doing a lot, a lot of emotional check-in with my students. Um, almost every day I just give them a blank page that they all have access to and just like fill it up. Like whether it's about school or home or how you're feeling or a question you have or whatever it is, just, just dump it. Um, cause it's been a lot for them. Um, so I'm really trying to recognize that as a teacher, I think that that's more important than making sure they know that, you know, the nucleus is the center of the cell, um, and then as a parent, the first couple of months was really rough because we really just kind of isolated. We don't have any family near us. So we really just kind of hunkered down. Um, and that was rough because Tom and I, my husband and I were still teaching. So we were teaching from home, but the kids were home and then they had these wacky assignments. So we were trying to keep up with what they were doing and trying to keep up on our end. So that was a, that was a rough go. And it you know all started in March and April and the weather's not quite so beautiful yet here on Cape Cod. So getting outside was a little bit difficult. Um, but then after like April, we opened up our bubble to another family. Um, and that was a savior. Um, my daughter, we opened up uh, the bubble to my daughter's best friend and then their family. So my daughter finally had a playmate and Joshua would uh, fold into the, the, the two of them playing. And so we kind of had the kids going um, and we've just had to be really creative. We've done a lot of yard work. We redid two bathrooms and a bedroom. Um, we let the kids rip up the rugs and, you know, just really tried to take each moment as it comes. And some days we really took it hour by hour. My husband, after like two months said to me, you know, we did really good. I, I thought I was going to kill somebody after two weeks, but we've really done really well with what we've been given. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think just what every other family is doing, you know, lots of zoom calls with family, you know, lots of cooking, lots of movies, um, and just trying to make the most of it. Right. Yeah. It's difficult. You know, everybody's, but we're all in the same boat. Everybody's, uh, struggles and it's, we're not meant to be isolated, but I know our kids, this is the end of, this is the end of the second week of in back in person school. And it's a world of difference, just the stress level for them and for us. And I think, um, it's back to normalcy because you know the kids have to be with their peers and emotionally socially it's good for them have you seen have you seen that to to be true how long have you how long have you been in person instruction 
Um, so this was the first week and actually my husband and I are home today because Joshua, our son came home yesterday from school was a sore throat. So they um, want him to get, get a COVID test. So we're waiting on results. And until they come back, my husband and I are not allowed to go back to school because someone in our household has, you know, um, being tested for COVID. Right. Our daughter is allowed to attend school. So she's been going, but um, you know, it, it's, it makes such a difference when they are in school and they're getting their full instruction. I mean, my kids are lucky that both my husband and I are teachers and we can read the standards and we can navigate lesson plans. Um, so they don't exactly get a day off from us. They probably get more work when they're home than when they're actually in school. But um, yeah, I mean, it's once we kind of opened up that bubble, we, we, we kind of selected certain families that we knew would respect our thoughts about COVID and, and respect, you know, how we felt about quarantining. Um, we saw a huge change in our kids because they, they need their peers. And my son and, you know, my daughter would play with them, you know, with each other and by themselves um, more than I've ever seen before. And it was probably out of boredom and I'm, I'm okay with kids being bored and kind of figuring it out. And I think they got a little closer. Um, but certainly being with, you know, their like-minded peers and being back into, um, sports, my, my son's back into hockey, which, you know, he loves, um, we signed my daughter up for a dance class. We felt like that was a safe go. Um, you know, I definitely seen both of their attitudes, you know, immensely improve and both my husband and I, cause that means we get a little bit of break. Um, so, right. So we're, we're getting back into it, but you know, we're, we're cautious as well. Sure. Sure. So when it comes to, to mental health, is there anything you want to highlight or, or talk about in particular? Yeah. I mean, I think like there needs to not be any shame. Um, you know, I feel like people struggle so hard for so long and they're, there's, they either can't name it or there's a stigma. I am convinced my father had ADHD. Now that I see my son, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's exactly like my dad. Um, and I think, you know, when he was growing up, there wasn't a name for it. And so, you know, he was always in trouble and he probably didn't get the sports that he needed um, to thrive. And maybe that was, you know, factors that led to some of his life choices. Um, but I think just owning where you are and if you can put a name to it, great. But if not, if you can at least just describe it and know who you are, um, I think that's a huge first step because then you can identify your triggers. I mean, that's something we're trying to teach our children. Um, once you can identify your trigger, then you have the tools necessary to make the better choice. Right. Um, when you just react and you don't know why, but you're just yelling, you know, that's where bad choices come in. So if you can take a step back and say, I'm being bothered because this person is hitting this schema um, and kind of reflect on that and give yourself a chance to have a little time and pause. I've seen a lot of parents and a lot of teachers and just a lot of adults and children, you know, they react in the moment and that's where hurt words come in or where hitting can happen. Um, and it's, it's okay to just say, you know what, I'm not going to respond right now. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to think about this because I know myself, I'm really angry right now. I'm going to give myself some space and time and then come back to it. Not every disagreement has to be resolved in 30 seconds after it happened. You can come back to it later on, even if it's a day later. Right. Um, so as a parent, I've really tried to practice the art of pausing and, um, taking a step back and then you know, not only addressing their behavior, but also addressing mine. Like what was going on with me in that moment? Why was I so upset? 
Why am I so upset when Joshua yells at me? Why is that such a trigger for me? I mean, you know, if he swears, I don't care. But for some reason, when he yells at me, you know, I can't take it. So, you know, what is that? And then I remember, oh, that's right. I was yelled at when I was a kid. So it's it's bringing up those past traumas. Um, and I can reflect on that and make better choices as a parent moving forward. So, um, and just, you know, and yeah, and I would just say just owning where you are and not being afraid to talk about it. I think a lot of um, people suffer in silence. I know I went through really horrible postpartum depression with Joshua and I didn't really know about it. And I didn't really know what to do. And I didn't even really know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And I went through that, um, without any help and, um, alone until it kind of passed. Um, and it was a really scary time for me. And I think in some ways it, tra it traumatized me as well. Sure. Yeah. We, we've done a, a couple episodes where we've talked about that. And that is a, that is a real thing that women experience. And, but, but but on to mental health in general, I mean, it's so great when somebody knows something that you're able to guide like a child, but when you don't know what you don't know, when you're feeling down and explosive and angry and mad, that's why there is such a stigma with this stuff is because nobody wants to go there. Nobody right. wants, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to address it. And then that, that's the worst thing that can happen. Are right. are there um, mental health programs in the schools where you teach or around your area? Yeah, so my school actually is quite wonderful in the way that we have more, you know, we have a higher counselor to student ratio than any school I've ever worked in or any school that I know in this area. So there is a lot of support for our students. Um, and I and, and I, I feel that as a teacher, because in past schools, I would feel the weight of the counseling um, the lack of counseling support because there was only one or two counselors. And I, I often took on naturally as most teachers do anyways, take on that role of being the counselor. Um, so in this school that I'm in, I find I am getting, you know, less of that, which I, you know, I miss a little bit, but in just more focused on teaching, um, both my kids have, um, you know, counselors in their schools, but my son sees an outside counselor that's specific for his needs. Sure. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it's sometimes it can be tough to find. I was worried about counseling in Cape Cod. So um, I actually just took my my therapist with me. So instead of meeting in person, we now talk on the phone because we met in person for so many years. Now we just chat on the phone. Um, and I appreciate that. So um, it can sometimes be difficult, but, you know, and it sometimes, like you said, it takes a couple counselors to, you know, go through and you got to find the right kind of counseling that works for you. With my counselor, I don't even think of him as a person. I think of him as if um, I'm talking to myself and I'm just talking to my brain. Because um, I do sometimes fear that, especially in the beginning, I felt like he was going to judge me and <laughs> he's going to think I'm a weirdo or I'm crazy or I'm a bad mom. And so I would be scared to tell him certain things. And then once we kind of talked about that, um, he, would, he would often remind me, just, just think of me as your, as your own self. Um, as if you're talking to yourself. And that has helped me a lot, especially when I bring up things that I'm so uncomfortable about talking about. Man, that's awesome to be, to be able to have such a good relationship there where you're able to just speak freely and, and know that the other person is in tune. Uh, and it's also great to uh, schools here in Kentucky and Ohio, they're starting mental health programs and, and, ha and have been, but I think around the country, it's starting to become Notice that 
kids need emotional emotional help and uh help for depression and anxiety and and how to how to uh like you say identify your triggers and and understand what those even are what that what that even means and develop skills to be able to cope mm -hmm. um so when you go home, you can have healthy relationships in your family and, and able to talk and, and getting parents involved in the process is crucial. Uh, so, no, I think this, that's all uh, very good stuff. And I'm, uh, I applaud you for your career path and um, I applaud you for uh, getting to where you are now with, uh, you know, the, the, the past that has been uh, what, what you went through because that's all – very difficult stuff and people don't put enough weight on how much childhood trauma can affect the rest of your life. Yeah, totally. Definitely. And it's, it's not, you know, um, but again, it's not about blaming it's, it's, everybody has their own journey and it, it, you know, my, my energy that goes out to the people that were involved in my childhood is, is nothing but empathy. Um, and, and I'll never understand exactly what it was like for them and their situation at that time. Um, but, you know, I just have nothing but empathy. Um, and so I really just try to keep it positive. I'm not judging anyone, you know, and I'm not broken. Um, you know, I think everybody can, can pull through and, and, and make the best of their, of their circumstance. Sure. Definitely. Well, anything you want to leave us with? Um, let's see. I don't think so. I really, I, I mean, I just really appreciate this podcast and I think it's so important to, you know, get the word out there and to, and to have conversations and um, hopefully my story will lift someone else up. Um, and I mean, that's one thing I could probably leave you with is I felt alone for a really long time, especially the high school I went to. It was like everybody's parents were married and everybody lived in a house and we were in a rental and my parents were not together. And um, I felt really alone. And so once I kind of, um, was really out on my own in life, I started to find other people who had, who had similar circumstances to me. And that was very comforting to be able to talk about similar situations and to, you know, um, exchange ideas and thoughts and theories. And um, I took a trip to Ireland or I took a trip to Iceland a few years ago with a girlfriend um, of mine that also has some trauma in her childhood. And it was such an eye awakening experience to just be in this beautiful place with her and have these really deep conversations. Um, it's something my husband doesn't quite understand because he didn't have the same experience. So um, if you can find someone that's like you and it doesn't have to be worse or, or better situation than you, but if you just find some commonality, I think that can even bring you a lot of peace, even if you're not in therapy. Oh yeah. I mean, once you find out, because when you're going through it, you think you are the only one. Mm -hmm. And once you can find somebody, anybody, whether it's a group or one person to start that know what you're talking about, the floodgates open and there's an instant bond and instant respect and trust that goes with that. And uh, they become uh, people that you need that you lean on day in and day out to to be able to, um, you know, get things off your chest and have a sounding board there. So, yeah, that's absolutely crucial. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you for your uh, courage to share your story. And I'm sure this will uh, help many people, but I appreciate your time and I wish you all the best moving forward. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.